0: So it was May 30th, 1968. In the center of Leipzig, Germany. It was in what was called at that time the Karl Marx Platz, or Plaza, where people gathered. And weeping and wailing took place. You see, Walter Ubricht, Walter was the head of the Communist Party in East Germany. He was an atheist, he was um, obviously a communist, not at all a good guy. He was the guy who was the mastermind uh, behind the Berlin Wall. Leipzig was his hometown, and uh, he had worked it out with the local officials that the university church was to be destroyed, blown up. The church was more than just a, a worshiping community. The, the church was a, a symbol of free thinking and religious faith. The very things he hated and the very things that uh, the people in Leipzig loved. But it was to be done. It was decided. And on May 30, 1968, people gathered in that place. The sound of weeping Audibly heard hovering over the center of the city. And that sound of weeping was only overcome by the detonation of tons of dynamite. Eyewitness reports show that the church lifted up off of its foundation and hovered in the air for a singular moment before crashing and being destroyed into rubble that was not a joyful noise to use the word of our scripture today I have had the privilege twice to be in that same spot as we went to Germany for our reformation tours um, we went to Leipzig on two occasions and I stood right in front of this new you can see pictured uh, version of the university chapel It's beautiful, but it's not the same. Glass and stone and steel, it is primarily now an academic building and not a building or home of faith, which is a shame. There is still, in these days, an outcry to rebuild a church on that spot because this town is becoming increasingly secular, in part, because of what happened in 1968. This spot in Germany, in Leipzig, actually has an amazing history. There was the first worship community was established by the Dominicans in 1222. That's a long time ago. The Dominicans... Uh, A sect of brothers from the Roman Catholic Church had established a university there, a monastery, and a worshiping community. That church grew, and it grew to be substantial and significant. It was the home church of John Tetzel. If you know your church history, John Tetzel was the guy who uh, created this taxation, uh, get-out-of-heaven-for-payment program called Indulgences that um, was the beginning of the end of the Roman Catholic Church as it was known. Because that was the main fight about the Reformation. Well, after the Reformation was fought and won, Martin Luther actually himself went in 1545 and consecrated that worship space to be a Lutheran house of worship in 1545. And then in the Renaissance, in the 1700s, um, they had a string of worship Um, directors in the city of Leipzig. What's interesting about that is um, when you served as kind of the cantor, the the head of worship, you you did it for several churches in the town, and it is kind of a who's who of classical music were the folks from Leipzig. As you can see here, um, Mendelssohn and Wagner Mozart, actually, he wasn't cantor there, but he actually came and played at the university church. But it is where Johann Sebastian Bach came into his own. Johann Sebastian Bach was chosen and was there for some 28 years as the music director. Johann Sebastian Bach knew what it was like to make a joyful noise. Let's listen. Carrie and Holly, I mean, you know, the beauty of box music is that it's so joyful, and yet there's also just this dripping of the reality of the harshness of the world, right? And that's what makes box music just so compelling, so uplifting, and so real, and so enduring. I don't know if you realize this or not, but one of the interesting pieces of history, is that Bach was their third choice as worship director. How's that happen, right? I mean, again, of course, it was before Bach was Bach, but how's this guy come in third? They settled for him, right? They said his music was too frolicking, which just makes me laugh, because essentially box music got the same guff that Shine Jesus Shine got in the 90s, believe it or not, right? Well, fights about church music are as old as the church, <laughs> and, um, and we know that well here, certainly at Sheridan. And if Bach's not immune, I guess no one is. But like the church growth movement that Sheridan adopted in the late 90s, which had been prevalent in the 80s and 90s, the Renaissance movement in Germany and throughout Europe um, had the same means to an end. It's funny. Years ago, Sheridan, it was said that if it's not 400 years old, it's not worth playing. That was kind of the mindset of Sheridan in the 80s and 90s. And what's kind of funny about that is box music that's about 400 years old (laughs) was given the same business. But what had happened in the Renaissance and also in the church growth movement of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s is that it was a correction, you see. A correction because the church was quickly becoming irrelevant to young people, especially that they found that the church was just too judgmental, too staid, too boring, and really that there was an inherent hypocrisy between a joyless experience and proclaiming the salvation one through Jesus Christ. And so there was an effort to, quite frankly, make a joyful noise. The joy in Germany in the 1700s, in the United States in the 80s and 90s, and today, joy needs to win. Despite how palpably hard life is, joy needs to win. Because, quite frankly, it is an expression of our love and faith in God. We need joy. So let's hear some Bach. <laughs> Hmm, so beautiful. Now, there's lots of research out there about uh, thanksgiving and gratitude and the resultant impact that it has on our life, how it improves us, how it changes us, and how it leads to joy. I'm going to show you a short video. I'm only showing you part of it. You'll see, you'll be like, huh, because it ends kind of midway through. Um, After the video, there will be the web address so that you can... um, Take a screenshot or something if you want to watch the video. Um, it's it's simply easy to find. But want to have you here? I could inc- I could tell you all these facts, but it's better coming from them. So let's take a watch of this video
1: right now. Research shows that adopting an attitude of gratitude, simply expressing appreciation, and being more thankful, can measurably improve your overall well-being. For example. Studies prove that gratitude can increase happiness, reduce depression, and strengthen resiliency. Grateful people often experience reduced blood pressure, less chronic pain, increased energy, even longer lives. People who purposefully express more gratitude report higher self-esteem than those who don't, and they're more likely to help others, a pro-social behavior also linked to greater happiness. People who capture grateful thoughts before bed sleep better than those who don't. Why so many positive changes? Because gratitude actually rewires our brains, kickstarting the production of dopamine and serotonin. Like antidepressants, these feel good neurotransmitters activate the bliss center of the brain, creating feelings of happiness and contentment this appears to be self-perpetuating research suggests that with regular practice you'll train your prefrontal cortex to better appreciate and retain positive experiences and thoughts and to deflect the negative ones here are a few simple ways to deliberately cultivate that attitude of gratitude
0: you can find those ways on your own i'll let you do that take a picture of this so you can find out where it is I would encourage you to listen to that over and over. It's hard with the guys with an English accent. I don't know why we believe people are smarter if they have an English accent, but we kind of do. But take a watch of that video, please. You know, it's tempting in this week before Thanksgiving to somehow uh, consider all of the ways that being grateful will improve your life. It would be tempting for me to stand up here and say, do all of these things. Um, Because there's lots of things that you can do. We know that will improve your life, like eating healthy foods and eating in moderation. Good luck with that on Thursday. Uh, Getting exercise and not just watching people on TV exercising. Good luck with that on Friday, (laughs) right? And so there's lots of things that you can do that we oftentimes don't choose to do. But here's the interesting thing about gratitude and being thankful as a spiritual discipline. Um, When we're grateful, uh, we don't have to actually do anything. Unlike prayer or fasting or other spiritual disciplines, there's nothing that we do. It takes no time. It is simply an attitude adjustment. A filter that we place over everything and a perspective that we take. No matter what we do, we can approach it with thanksgiving. Hear that again. No matter what we do, we can approach it with thanksgiving. The implications here are huge. When we discipline ourselves to have thankful hearts, what we're doing is we're having faith. When we discipline ourselves to have faithful, thankful hearts, we are committing to the fact that we believe that God is with us and that God intends for us good. When we're thankful, that's what we do. We assume that God is with us and intends for us good, and then that leads to joy. A joy that is irrepressible despite the circumstances that we see and that we face. 2020 has been hard. We all know it. We all feel it. 2020 has been excruciating. Right? This week will be hard for many. Because there are some who will be distanced and not be able to do what they generally want to do or have done keeping the traditions that are so important to them. Um, You know, some people have said, as we've preached our way through 2020, that some of those things, well, we can't really talk about them, right? There's this kind of commitment to, um, oh, well, everything just needs to be happy. I, I don't want to hear that in church. I don't want to hear about health concerns I don't want to hear about divisive politics I don't want to hear about racial injustice I just want to hear about a church shouldn't talk about those things here's and they and they delude themselves that this is about joy when it's not that mindset is really about something different which is happiness happiness seeks to put on rose-colored glasses joy like box music brings up from deep within us the sense that God is with us, that God is good, and that God intends good for us despite the reality of all the hardship that we see. So, pursuing joy by seeking to be grateful and thankful is the discipline through which we come to better know God. And then we have a joy that lasts. And in the midst of all the hardship, joy wins. So, make a joyful noise with Thanksgiving, dear friends. Enjoy your holiday, be thankful for God's presence in your life and make a joyful noise.